Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Canna Book Club, hosted by Resonate Radio. Today, we have the impact of harvest time and pruning technique on total CBD concentration and yield of medicinal cannabis. So, we're going to get into looking at what we do with the plant and how that affects it. Excited to get into it. Recording this time. Ha ha ha! Gosh. How many times do I got to have a technical issue with myself here? Hi, everybody. I tell you. Hello, Canna Book Club friends. Always good to see you. Going to make the same joke. Anna, saw you dancing in the background like that. That way. There you go. All right, Casey, round number two. Hit us with an abstract. We're going to give you the screen this time, too, even. Look at that. Ooh, hey everyone. Isn't that pretty? All right. All Welcome right. to episode 31 of the Canna Book Club. Uh, talking about harvesting and pruning today. Uh, this study was published actually in January of this year. So it's pretty fresh uh, in the journal Plants. And it was written by Masuela Hartung Munns. Erpenbach and Greif Honninger out of the Institute of Crop Science at the University of Honenheim in Stuttgart, Germany. I think this is our first German paper, but correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, maybe not. Um, can't really, I mean, I don't think Germany when I think cannabis, but it has very good a science. very large medicinal cannabis patient population. Uh, out of all the countries in Europe, Germany is by far one of the largest. So they got some people here that would probably be interested in it. This is our first German paper, awesome. though, to, to clarify. Right? Good. Okay, cool. Well, here's the abstract. <clears throat> the definition of optimum harvest and pruning interventions are important factors varying inflorescence yield and cannabinoid composition. This study investigated the impact of one, harvest time, or HT, and two, pruning techniques, or PT, on plant biomass accumulation, CBD and CBDA concentrations, and total CBD yield of a chemotype 3 medical cannabis genotype under indoor cultivation. The experiment consisted of four harvest times between 5 and 11 weeks of flowering and three pruning techniques, uh, apical cut or topping, removal of side shoots or lollipop and control, C. Um, so not pruned, oh, and the controls were not pruned at all. Uh, results showed that inflorescence dry weight increased continuously, while the total CB concentration did not differ significantly over time. For the study genotype, optimum harvest time defined by highest total CBD yield was found at nine weeks of flowering. Total CBD concentration of inflorescences in different fractions of the plant's height was significantly higher in the top and in comparison with the middle and lower fractions. The top plants produced significantly higher dry weight of inflorescences and leaves than the lollipop and control. Total CBD yield of inflorescences for pruning types were significantly different among pruned groups, but do not differ from the control group. However, a trend for higher yields was observed, um, from greatest being topping, middle, control, and lowest lollipop. And we're going to jump right into the introduction and take it away, Molly, would you? Thank you, Casey. Um, yeah, so again, we're going through the very basics. Um, cannabis cultivation is super high in demand, um, as we know. You know, the biggest reason is the two most abundant cannabinoids, THC and CBD. Um, and so because of that cultivation increasingly uh, showing that, sorry, not cultivation, those cannabinoids uh, showing the medicinal benefits as well as other ones are being studied, um, the pharmaceutical 
um, part of it is pretty important. Um, as we know, in the cultivation of active pharmaceutical ingredients, uh, you need standardization for the product quality and also the cultivation processes. Um, you know, as you grow it. So because of that, medical cannabis is often cultivated in indoor or greenhouse facilities because you can maintain the con uh, environment controls there a lot better, um, as well as, you know, there is a higher standardization of cultivation practices. Um, cannabis is also a short day plant. So if you're growing indoors, you can have multiple grows throughout the year uh, by controlling the photo period and the temperature. Um, and so that way, like basically all year round, you can be harvesting, uh, which is a pretty nice bonus of growing indoors or in a greenhouse. Um, the importance of optimizing these systems um, is so that we can increase the yield and we can improve the efficiencies um, of growing systems. Uh, the final yield quantity and quality of buds is uh, pretty variable and they're numerous factors for that, such as genotype, um, agronomic practices like irrigation and fertilizer stuff, uh, light spectrum, light intensity, the photo period, plant density, um, environmental conditions, and uh, influence of stresses. Um, so some of these stresses that we're going to be covering in this paper is pruning and defoliation techniques, um, as well as duration of the vegetative and generative periods, which is flowering period. Um, there are many differences um, that can be found for reported yield of medicinal cannabis that are um, currently in the literature. So uh, here they're going to go over some of the studies um, that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, for example, there's a crucial question of how to maximize the yield and when is the correct harvest time. And that's usually based on uh, the bud's maturity and biomass accumulation. So the bigger the buds and like all that stuff. Um, identifying the optimum harvest type for each genotype can help with the optimization of the cultivation processes. Um, and uh, the typical duration of the uh, flowering period indoors is usually between seven to 14 weeks. Um, first, it starts with um, cannabinoids in the acid form of CBGA, then that turns into um, CBDA or THCA. And eventually um, as the time goes goes into cbna um, so these conversions are determined by genomic expression of cbda and thca synthesis and um, interesting thing they've been citing here is for chemotype 3 that are cbd dominant plants um, the plants synthesize cbda continuously until the end of the experiment with 11 weeks of flowering so that entire time and CBGA was reaching a maximum concentration around five weeks of flowering. And then from that point, it was going down because um, it was converting. Um, in another study uh, with the same chemotype 3, um, the genotypes presented maximum concentration of total CBD by six weeks of flowering. And then after that, they hit a plateau. And then from that, they were uh, consequently uh, reducing it. And uh, after 10 weeks, pretty much it was done. Uh, some genotypes uh, also presented significant reduction of CBD after seven weeks of flowering. And uh, it suggested that the change in coloration of the pistils and trichomes uh, can be what signifies the plant maturity. Um, cannabinoid and uh, terpene metabolites are what's produced in those trichomes and um, that starts to develop during the plant's generative stage and eventually covers the whole um, inflorescence. And it's composed by individual flowers, calyx, bracts, phytomeres, and adjacent, adjacent reduced leaves. Um, so they were mentioned here that during that whole period, the trichromes mature and they change their color from transparent, which is what they refer to stage one, to white, stage two, and then amber brown, which is stage three. Um, Suggested that in stage one, it's too early to harvest because the plant is still continuing to produce the inflorescence matter, and then that would reduce the overall yields. Uh, the last stage is also considered to be too late because brown trichomes are linked with the advanced uh, senescence stage of the plant and also potential loss of flower quality because of the conversion of THCA and um, CBDA into CBNA. Um, however, continuous growth and uh, creates to continuous. Um, creation of lateral phytomeres 
and uh, leads to nutrient confirmation and even in the later harvest events. So that can lead to biased observations of trichome color uh, because some of them would be looking like they've been there the longest, but then they're also the younger ones. Here, they mentioned that optimum harvest time and color of trichomes um, still missing in literature. So time scale um, in this experiment was weeks of flowering and uh, tested in the study as a, like a possible definition of optimum harvest type. Um, another important management factor is pruning. So the couple ones that they talk about here is uh, topping. Um, and then the other one was removing the um, bottom branches. Yeah, so they mentioned that both of these methods are increasing light penetration into the canopy and air circulation. Um, that can lead to plants having different microclimates within the plant um, because there is inner shoot shading. It's also altering the concentration of, of cannabinoids in the buds as well. Uh, there's another study that they mentioned here where uh, the effect of the topping in two cultivars of hemp uh, resulted in significantly higher total CBD. So their theory is that pruning increases CBD concentrations. Um, also, uh, significantly higher inflorescence, dry matter, and leaf area were fine for top plants due to the high number of secondary shoots. Um, and plant height, plant dry weight, the number of nodes in the main shoots were significantly lower. So that's also pretty interesting. Uh, another recent publications uh, mentioned that the plant architecture uh, modulation uh, can increase uh, that uniformity and standardization um, for where the cannabinoids concentrate in the plant. So that way it's reducing the inner plant variability. Um, that can be achieved by reducing those concentration gaps along the plant by um, increasing the cannabinoid concentration in the bottom ones. Uh, the researcher pointed out uh, the single pruning, which is topping and removing lateral shoots at the main um, axis, visibly altered shoot structure and also altered cannabinoid composition. And the impact of pruning technique on the inner plant uniformity of uh, cannabinoid concentration needs to be considered. Um, so due to a large number of variables, harvest time is subjective and not possible to be determined generally for cannabis plants. Um, and so because of that, then it needs to be examined <clears throat> on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, also available details on pruning techniques are pretty limited, um, and these methods also need to be examined in control studies, the ones that we do have mentioned in the literature. So the aim of this study was to investigate the impact of harvest times and different pruning techniques on the yield, the CBD, CBDA, and total CBD concentrations, and the yield of chemotype 3, which is a medical cannabis genotype in the indoor cultivation. And Corey, you can take over with your materials and methods. Okay. Um, pretty much everything is normal in this materials and methods as far as horticultural things are concerned, but obviously we have some pruning things going on, so I want to touch on the pruning things. I really like that variation as well. Uh, all of these questions that are trying to be addressed in this paper are something that I mean, we deal with every single day as growers, uh, trying to understand, you know, even just like the physiological, the morphological kind of responses from doing that um, pruning, which I'm excited that they brought up that not only is it going to change your, you know, cannabinoid composition, but also the structure of the plant um, is pretty cool. So I'm glad that they look after all those different phases. Super, super cool. Um, the vegetative period. 18 hours, so none of that kind of half words uh, that we had in our, in our last paper that we covered. Um, solar radiation was measured above the greenhouse and was higher than 35,000 lux, so pretty good system that they have in place here. So if the sun intensity gets too high, there's a setting in their um, climate system that's going to turn lights off. So essentially they're avoiding, you know, uh, any kind of high intensity issues where, you know, maybe you'll see foxtailing perhaps. Um, or maybe a, like a general bleaching of the plant um, that will kind of be reduced um, with a system like this. So, you know, in case anyone has questions about that side of it, important to know that that's a very controlled part of this experiment. Um, total duration was 28 days on the vegetative side. And then, you know, during the generative side, 
uh, when we're going into the flowering side, uh, black curtains were used, so standard kind of blackout curtains that we have uh, with a 95% um, obscuration. Uh, they need a better blackout curtain. Ours are, ours are solid, a little bit better than that. Um, and then you also have supplemental lighting uh, to set your photo period of 12 hours if you, you know, as need be. Our cultivation uh, methods here, again, super standard stuff here as far as clones are concerned. Clonex, easy plugs, these are all very standard things, so I'm not going to spend a terrible amount of time on that. Um, after 14 days, so a good amount of time to get roots, they were transplanted over. And we do have a little bit of aeration that's added to the mix, so perlite uh, is added to the mix just to make sure that you know the soil isn't getting uh, waterlogged. So the other thing that I wanted to touch on here as well, uh, because I think it's fairly uh, symbiotic, uh, and our buscular mycorrhizae fungi uh, was used uh, during this process here. So something to note, because I know we just had a nice little conversation about that. Uh, and of course, <laughs> y'all in your GMOS, it's not confirmed whether it's GMOS. I think that that mycorrhizae granulate would be, but you know, for all of our GMOS lovers out there, I'm sure that they didn't discriminate and went to GMOS for this one, but I didn't confirm it. So check your paper. <laughs> uh, drip irrigation system with a controller. Uh, so we're not doing hand watering folks. We got drippers that are in here and it's programmed. Uh, to make sure that they do have a constant uh, supply of water. Uh, Biocana nutrients, so that's a pretty standard nutrient as well. Generally just used for cocoa-based substrates, so um, it's, yeah, used all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. Uh, the rhizotonic stuff is a little bit better uh, as far as root zone is concerned. I know it's kind of in the name there, but it's looking after the rhizosphere and making sure it optimizes it for uh, root growth that's coming through. Other than that, I want to get to these harvest times in here. Um, I know for some people who have issues with, you know, like neem oil and stuff like that, if you're reading through this experiment, don't worry. Neem oil's okay. Trust me. And trust everybody else in a scientific paper. It's not that bad, everybody. You just have to apply it at the right times. Uh, and not to your roots. Phytotoxic. So, anyway. Our harvest times are separated by two weeks. Uh, they focused on the later stages of inflorescence. So, you know, again, to kind of point out, we did a paper a couple of weeks ago that focused on that really immature side. And now we're moving in a little bit later. So anytime, you know, just in case if there's anybody making any comparisons, don't make any comparisons to the paper that we reviewed with Mr. Polly. Uh, this is completely different uh, in this space. So our harvest times were five, seven, nine and 11 weeks of flowering and they were you know chosen again based on prior experiment conducted with the same genotype and harvest times uh, from that six to 12 weeks of flowering so they've really optimized that there which i think is also important you know to mention how do they you know why didn't they take it to 70 days because they've already run prior experience they understand the optimization of this cultivar the pruning techniques so pruning was done by cutting the merry stems and branches with disinfected clippers um, at the growth stage the plants had between 10 and 14 inner nodes so a fairly you know decent sized plant here for sure uh, the techniques were applied uh, with a control and the representing uh, not pruned plants so I think those are super interesting I wish I could see pictures of those and how wild they actually got at all of the stages um, and the apicable cut of the growing apex of the 10th node of the main stem and they also did a little bit of lollipop here so for those who you know into the growing uh stuff and kind of understand some of these you know uh, techniques the lollipop is something important to note uh on here because they address that specifically you know only grow top buds uh is being addressed in this paper so excited for that uh removal of the two lowest side branches growing from the main shoot at 27 days after planting so this is a very common practice. This is so common. It is just, it's out of control. Do this all the time. So just again to, you know, say those two shoots at the bottom, those were removed. And then at 36 days after planting, so nine days later, they removed the next two lower ones, which definitely controversial for sure. Um, but it's important to note that both of those uh, were taken. It wasn't just that first lower branch where we kind of, clean up the lower third, uh, which is a very common technique that's used uh, in the industry to increase airflow uh, in the plants. 
Sampling and laboratory analysis, not going to spend a terrible amount of time on that, but they did do a pretty good job of getting everything um, throughout that plant to kind of understand where we're seeing these different levels. And then we got all sorts of figures and everything that I'm going to leave through, um, through to the other side. Uh, again, HPLC, we all know about the HPLC machines and our calculations for Dr. Dr. Anna's lovely um, time here. I'm going to just, you know, zoom in a little bit on the formulas there for everybody and take a double check at that. Our statistical models. The worst part of materials skip, and methods. Skip, skip that. Just write yucky next to that and just skip that little bit. Right no, there. we just had to make sure we get all the way down to the bottom and just make sure they even understand the SAS version 9.4. Unbelievable. Anyway, that's it for me over on materials and methods. Again, a fairly pretty run-of-the-mill as far as cultivation methods are concerned. You know, obviously the pruning methods were pretty wild, but that's the whole point of this freaking thing. So, results and discussion. I passed the mic. Oh. Oh, we have a question. I was going to say, I was going to say, if you are going to run statistical analysis, SAS is way more user-friendly than SPSS, just in case you're wanting to do some statistical analysis as they did. I was going to go brush up on my SPSS right after this recording, actually. Funny you mentioned that. Right, right after I do some supplementary information with R. Okay, that's enough of the nerd jokes. Um, I pass it on, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Corey. Yes. All right. So we're going to have another results and discussion mix because all these papers we've been choosing are setting themselves apart and they don't want to separate the results and discussion. But I feel like it flows pretty nicely. So first off, we're going to go on to like the just harvest time. So the plants did flower two weeks after the generative phase and just throughout the whole experiment. Um, but specifically looking at biomass accumulation, uh, the harvest time was statistically significant for the biomass of inflorescences and leaves. The average dry weight of inflorescences per plant increased from 7.7 .7 grams at five weeks of flowering to a maximum of 25.1 grams at 11 weeks of flowering. You can check that out in figure two that Corey's got there. And uh, the highest biomass accumulation of leaves per plant was 8.8 .8 grams at the final harvest time. Moving on, we're going on to cannabinoid concentrations and the yield time, or sorry, yield by the harvest time, uh, 3.1.2. So the total CBD concentration did increase uh, from 7.62% to a maximum of 8.88% by the third harvest time. Uh, but it decreased to 7.76% in the last harvest time. Uh, so that's in figure three. Um, it's not significant though, right? Uh, so it's kind of, yeah. So for CBDA and total CBD, the differences among harvest time levels were not significant, although the trend of increasing and later decreasing concentrations can be observed. Um, not really weird though because the plant's getting bigger so the concentration right. is getting more diluted because you've got more plant matter and it's just stopped making more cannabinoids you know it's production of cannabinoids has stopped even though it's getting bigger so you're just diluting that concentration you're not losing anything because i was like where is it going because it's not converting to anything so maybe they should have like measured some other cannabinoids and then i'm like no but cbd doesn't degrade into anything so what's going on here and then they made the really good point of the lower concentrations on later harvest maybe due to the dilution effects of cannabinoid content in the relation to the inflorescence biomass and that does make sense at least it makes sense to right. me yeah so then finally the factor of harvest time was significant for total cbd yield per plant uh, there was a steady increase in of cbd yield starting from 415 milligrams per plant um, in the first harvest time, reaching a maximum of 1,334 milligrams per plant uh, in the last harvest time, um, not varying significantly to the third harvest time. That's back in table one. And the last harvest time yielded the highest inflorescence dry weight and yield, which was stated in figure two. So the very um, last sentence on uh, this paragraph here where it says, finally, the factor um, right above table one. I don't know that a lot of people know this and 
I did know this, but I don't ever hear people talking about it, that cannabinoids are toxic to the plant. Like they produce cannabinoids and then they store them in the trichomes. If it is, if the cannabinoids leak out into the leaf, it's actually toxic. And they do say here, the secretion of cannabinoids in leaf tissue can cause necrosis and cell death via mitochondrial dysfunction. So just so you know, if you want to inject your cannabis plant with cannabinoids, you're going to hurt it a lot. Poor little leaves. Yeah. I wonder if the leaves are making like just enough to kind of stay like toxic outside of themselves, but just enough to like. So they make they make the they, they make the cannabinoids in specialized cells, and then they're stored in the trichomes. The rest of the plant, it's it's toxic too. Yeah, because like I mean, we know there's cannabinoids in the leaves, but are the they're, they're the leaves, not are the leaves. Are they starting trichomes on the leaves too only? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And we're safe. We're safe. Yeah, we're safe. Um, so there was, <laughs> a, I don't know if you guys remember, there a while back, it was probably like four years ago, maybe five years ago, um, there was a, a bunch of press around these folks who had GMO'd a cannabis plant that made water-soluble cannabinoids all throughout the plant. And... I was like, okay, cool, except that the cannabinoids are toxic to the plant, so how is that going to work? And notice we haven't heard anything about it since because the plant, although they were able to do it in the lab in vitro when they actually got the plant to do it, the plant was like, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's Yeah, I feel like that's yeah very well overlooked. Good little tidbit of info, Dr. Anna. The total CBD yield and... The last one, yeah, it was just not significantly different than the ninth week. So why wait two more weeks? Just stick mm -hmm. it out with that 1,200 milligrams per plant. And that was in line with another study that looked at 200 strains, although they weren't CBD types. They were THC types and then balance ratio types. Um, but they looked at 200 different strains. 88% of those were mature at nine weeks. So it seems like, although it's probably not true for all strains, like as a starting point, nine weeks is around when you want to kind of be like, ooh, now I need to start, you know, paying attention. <laughs> getting ready to harvest, <laughs> getting, my, getting my shears out or whatever the case may be. Cool. So let's uh, talk about the pruning techniques next. Uh, so definitely check out figure one. Uh, maybe Corey scroll back up to the top of I think it was like in the method section but um, yeah. some cool pictures of like the techniques uh, for pruning we've got L's the lollipop where they're cutting the two bottom leaves they did that twice the sec the they've got the lollipop and the topping right next to each other and the control as well and I feel like that control looks pretty nice on the on part C uh, Nice and flowery. Maybe maybe pruning wasn't even necessary, but nah, topping technically does help. Um, so yeah, there's your plants. Um, on so they mentioned on one hand the uh, topping treatment reduced the height of the plant in comparison to the control, but promoted the development and elongation of side shoots, generating several terminal inflorescences. And then on the other hand, the lollipop plants grew taller than the control plants, but with a lower number of side shoots than the control and topping. My yeah. takeaway from this is that top plants are shorter, but they have more apical buds. The lollipop ones are taller, but height doesn't really matter. Um, in this case, the flower production does. And I think that's like most of the indoor growing, or you're growing for flower, right? Um, but... Also, a lot of times when you're growing indoors, height does matter because you, you don't have, you know, infinite space and you kind of want to keep them under control under, you know, you want to keep them shorter to make sure that, you know, you don't have to stand on ladders and things like that. So I think overall for this, I, my takeaway was that top plants are better. Topping is good. Lollipopping is not. And I think they go in to say more about that later. Yeah, yeah, this so, isn't really like a lollipop okay. either. 
just kind of putting it out there. A lollipop is like top top bud, so that like that picture should have like the top, literally just like the top node on it. That's what a lollipop is. Maybe two, maybe two, but usually just one. So I'm just kind of like the nomenclature that's used here for lollipopping is a little bit off for me to be honest. But so like this is like a half-ass lollipop. It's not even a lollipop. Mm-hmm. There's no way. It's like at the end of each it's stem would only lot. be like me, like one bud or two, maybe two, but like grow tops only, bro. So there'll only be like one, you know, one bud on the top. But that's not what like a normal lollipop would be per se in that sort of way. So this lollipop has too much oxen going on here. <laughs> yeah, the topping one's uh, so really interesting. It really looks interesting to be honest. Where it kind of does that for sure. Well. Next section is the biomass allocation by this pruning technique. Uh, basically, the biomass allocation by plant organs, the stems, leaves, and inflorescences, and the location, either the main axis or the side shoots, they're all going to be in table two. The top plants produce significantly more leaf and inflorescence biomass compared to the control and lollipop, which pretty much very much makes sense a lot of it is pretty insignificant but yeah you can see more more space in the top plants all right um anything else to say about the allocation of biomass no i mean i guess we could talk about like how to read this table so where it says less than Mm 0.00001 that's significant and it's A, it's the topping that is significant from the other two. See, there's a little B next to um, the control and a B next to the lollipopping. So those two are not significantly different from one another. A is significantly different from B and very significant. And so 0.0052 is also significant. 0.0013 is also significant. 0.0001 is significant. Um, and... They're using 0.05 as their cutoff. So in this last uh, inflorescences, we've got two that are significant. So they do see some significance here, um, just depending on, you know, like I just wanted to point you as to how to figure out which which values are or which treatments are significant from the others. Thank you. Thank you. And the cannabinoid concentration and total CBD yield by pruning... So the total CBD concentration was not significantly affected by the pruning techniques. The total CBD concentration, um, sorry, um, but the significantly higher biomass of inflorescences and leaves from the tabling, tabling, sorry, redo that to topping plants from Back to table two, the, those didn't result in significantly higher CBD yield. Now looking at um, total CBD yield in table three, uh, but higher total CBD yields could be observed at the defined optimum harvest time of nine weeks. Uh, and then for topping, it was, we had a 14, 31.6 milligrams per plant um, where the control had one, two, three, four milligrams per plant. Um, and then the lowest was in the lollipop. So these differences were not significant, but we do see that trend of topping greater than control, greater than lollipop. So again, in, you know, this is saying that lollipop doesn't do shit, at least the way that they did it, right? Um, yeah. um, and topping seems to be the way to go if you want to increase content. Now, we've talked about this next section before, like the position on the plant uh, where the inflorescence is located, so aka inner plant variability. Uh, Across these pruning techniques, the control plants accumulated the lowest inflorescence biomass in in the top fraction. And we know, like, usually the top has the most. Um, And then the, the control had the highest biomass of inflorescence is in the low fraction. So in comparison to the, the, the different topping, or sorry, the different pruning techniques, um, pruning type was not uh, significant for total CBD concentrations, but the yield of total CBD was influenced by the pruning technique and the inflorescence position. 
the inflorescences in the lower fractions had a lower total CBD yield than the mid and top. Um, and then when analyzing the pruning technique, considering the influ influence of the inflorescence position, the lollipop showed the lowest average total CBD yield, which was significantly different from the highest value found in topping, yielding an average of 477 milligrams per plant. So definitely, if, if this interests you, check out <laughs> Table 5 because it's got a lot of good information on where you're going to see these concentrations on the plant. I just had a couple more like little points to add here towards the end um, that they do mention that a higher number of replicates per treatment would be necessary to better estimate the variability caused by pruning interventions. They did only do three treatments. Um, and of course, this is still only on one strain. So we've got some limitations there in terms of what they did find. Um, also, something to consider, you know, like those little figures that I showed with the triangle, upside down triangle in the square, like it. what are you looking for in your production and cultivation? Like what any one of these could be valuable to you depending on what you are doing in your grow, right? And they say that. So the most suitable pruning technique ultimately depends on cultivation objectives in and the industrialization process applied to the cultivation system. So you got to figure out what you're doing, then you figure out how you're going to how you're going to reach that goal. And this is three different ways that you can manipulate the cannabinoid production that you're going to have in your plants. So do you want to spend time pruning? Some people, you know, like that's for some that might be a waste of time and energy and you could best spend that money some that money and that time somewhere else. Or do you want to have more biomass with higher cannabinoids? Um, often in these, you know, larger cultivation it, um, grows, you're looking for the highest amount of cannabinoids in the shortest time with the least amount of least spending the least amount of resources. So you know, got it. Got, got to pump that out. And then um, you know, if you're Something else that they're mentioning is kind of like a dual purpose. So keeping harvesting the top buds with the utmost care, they're going to have be the highest in cannabinoids, and uh, you you can trim those. And then the the middle and lower buds, take those and use those for extractions and concentrates. You know, doesn't matter. And then you would also have more consistency to your consumers, to your customers because your apical buds are always going to have that high level of cannabinoids and your extract I and mean, your extractions and your concentrates, their extraction, you know, their extracts and concentrates there. It doesn't matter really what kind of flower it came from. Right. I'd, so, I'd love to see the standard operating procedure in the process for that harvest process. That, that would be, that would be a sight to see. That, that well, they, be, say, yeah. they say that like, you know, going through and, and manually harvesting the apical buds and then automating or, or, um, using some kind of mechanical harvesting for the lower portion of the plant. I don't know. I, I, I haven't ever seen a, you know, large scale, scale operation like at harvest time. So Corey, that would be more of like your, you'd be able to visualize how that may or may not work. Motherbucker. Um, it's like, it's kind of basically just putting your labor in another spot. Like mm -hmm. a bunch of those hours that you decided like, not to prune or whatever, you'd probably just repurposing those to the harvest side and, and kind of that way is probably the way I would play it. But yeah, the amount of like labor to make sure that you did like, you know, I plant rooms of like 10,000 plants, right? So it's like so you, <laughs> cutting so off all the buds on 10,000 plants is like, is it's something. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it done. Well, I think if you were not, if you were going to top, right, and then just harvest your very tops, like in your grow, Corey, you have a massive amount of plants, like more massive. than the average, and we do, more than we, the average grow. We do have to, like, we still have to top in that situation, though, to meet still, you know, like density mm -hmm. requirements in that way, so that, that topping is still happening, um, so, yeah, there, there's... I've seen the buds taken off, and it's a lot of freaking work. Uh, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of freaking work. So maybe work. maybe that wouldn't be a, a viable option in your facility, but perhaps in a smaller facility, that could be a viable option. Mm -hmm. Where you know you just take the apical buds and make those your your primo 
I, flower. I do know one company in Canada that is kind of adopting a similar kind of theory with that, though, Dr. Anna. They're, they won't do a topping on the plant. They'll literally just grow these, you know, not necessarily see a green, but have one, you know, giant dominant Mary stem. And then they'll just make sure that, like, you know, top half is Dankosaurus Rex. And they'll just cut that. And they'll put that whole giant bud into a giant jar and Whoa. give you your, your tops. So um, That's yeah, kind of what I'm envisioning is, onto something that, is there. that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but again, you got to take all of your, your factors into consideration. What are you growing for? What do you want to do? How do you want to – and how to get there. So everybody's going to be different depending on what their what their wants and needs are for their grow. Um, so even, that brings even, us to even the at conclusion. Two, even at 2,000 plants, that's crazy. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have like 170. So Jesus, my, right per, my personal license allows me for more plants than your commercial license. That's no, wild. no, it's just what we have right now. We've, yeah, no. we've only got like one of our 36 greenhouses built. So we're, just, we're very, that was, very small scale right now. That was the snoot, um, snooty Canadian just saying, ha ha ha. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, ha, 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 so, trichomes and THC ha, ha. and stuff. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, so, that, so, Corey. All right. So, so that brings us Anna. to the conclusion. That brings us to the conclusion where basically they say nine weeks in flower is pretty much maturity. There's other studies that have backed that up. So, again, this isn't going to be applicable to every single strain, but it's a good starting point for you to start paying attention you know, coming up on week seven, eight, nine, and then, you know, really paying attention to where you're at um, if you're growing, like, a new strain or whatever. <clears throat> and if basically, um, yeah, the advantage of topping plants um, and shifting the biomass from low to mid and top fractions in comparison with control, control plants um, so you can manipulate these things to get what you want out of the plant. Um, but, of course, you know, more work needs to be done. As always. And yeah, and I like what, I like what you were saying about kind of curtailing these results to what you want to do with your plants. And it made me think I because like now I'm in cannabis retail and kind of getting to like pick well, I get to see what customers want now in the cannabis uh industry and I've gotten a lot of uh, customers that want lower concentrations like the whole of, of the flower options and it's so hard to find anything like lower than 25% um, so it's kind of interesting wow. I called this years ago I called this years ago I have, I've had people ask me to like message me on Facebook and things and say, where can I find something that's not so strong? And my answer mm. is, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're just going to have to look around. I think, um, you know, in Colorado, a lot of dispensaries now are carrying at least one like more balanced strain and one that's higher in CBD, lower in THC still wouldn't, wouldn't, um, meet the mark for hemp, but you know, like 2% THC and, you know, 10% CBD or something like that. So, um, because yeah, not everybody wants to get, you know, you know, just obliterated every, you know, like it's nice to be able to yeah. still function. Um, and you know, now that you can buy smokable hemp, I do find, um, people who are <laughs> cutting their high THC flour with a CBD flour, mixing them half and half because they can't find, you know, the lower, the lower THC, um, product. Yeah. That's kind of what I had tried to recommend. Cause we have this one pre-roll pack that has like other botanicals blended in. So it's like the cannabis is just diluted. So that kind of helps, mm -hmm. but some people, I guess, don't want diluted. It's, it's nice to be others. able to, like, you know, it's nice to be able to smoke a whole, you know, joint or blunt or whatever. But with these higher THC types, you, you know, you can't get through a whole one. And so mixing it with smokable hemp or other flowers so you can actually sit back and relax and enjoy yourself and not be like, wow, I'm high as fuck right now. This is not where I was 
planning my afternoon going. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Well, go ahead, Molly. <laughs> Molly. Um, I was just going to mention that we had, um, a, I guess like a, a batch of stuff that we grow at home and then we shared with our friends and we also send that for testing and the percentage wasn't like you know in the 30s it was like what was it Corey like 17 percent or something for uh, 14 yeah so it was like you would say like not much right but everybody who spoke that like actually got a pretty good kick out of it um, so maybe sometimes Herbie. like less is more. Yeah, yeah. the it's, quote. It's the quote that I got that. was that it's like the tastiest weed that they've had in a long time. So yeah, you know it's. Yeah, THC is not the um, the indicator of quality or what it's going to do to you. Like it's, you know, um, it's it's a everything working together. If you've got a good terpene profile, like our like. At my house, um, the best, you know, kick-ass strain that we grew, uh, Gavin called it Dick in the Dirt, um, and his girlfriend called it Vagina Punch because it just knocked everybody in their ass. I went and tested it. <laughs> I went and tested it, and it came back at 12%. So Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I would have liked in this study to have seen, like, the terpene, like, quantities and distribution or even other cannabinoids. I don't know, but at least we got CBD. Yeah, yeah. I think you're touching on something too, Dr. Anna, that kind of leads into the more complicated conversation where, like, THC has been pushing the negative narrative for sure. And so, you know, chasing, you know, 30% this, blah, blah, blah. It's not what it's all cracked up to be. But now, at the same point in time, we're just mentioning now that, you know, and what I saw coming for a long time is now they want lower THC. But again, we still haven't solved the problem. We're still using that friggin' THC indicator to direct the person's choice. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether we're going, you know, 30% or if you're, oh, now I don't want to touch that 30% or, you know, if they see the two in front of that number, they're like, oh, no, no, that's not for me. It's like, okay, well, now what else are you boxing out that could possibly potentially be a good product and you're still you know, taking that misnomer forward, and now it's just coming back the other way to haunt us. When are we going to get out of this goddamn situation? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, if you really are in it just for THC alone, we have concentrates and extract, you know, extracts for that. Like, if you want something high yeah. taste, just buy, just buy a concentrate. Like, that's what you want. Like, in terms of flower and quality craft bud... Um, you know, there it's so nuanced. It's not about the THC. It's about the entire profile of, of that, of that flower. Um, and people should be looking at it, smelling it. Um, and it shouldn't really matter what the concentration of anything necessarily is. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even really matter what the three dominant terpenes are. Right. I mean, ultimately it, it, it's nice to know the ingredients in your, you know, consumables, but, um, but we still don't know to... about the terpenes either. Really. Again, we're combusting them. So we don't really know. And then, I mean, you know, you take a look at a plant and you're like, Ooh, guaylol or grillol. That's a pretty cool and unique terpene. Yeah. It's a terpene that's shown on the plant when it's freaking out because it's getting attacked by fucking bugs. So if I see that terpene in the profiles, like top three, and they're like, oh, it's got this one we've never heard of before. I'm like, well, I guess not a lot of people have that many bug problems. Like that's, you know, a major indicator, you know, potentially of, you know, an exotic right. terpene. But eh, do we want to be then, smoking that and one? Then, and then we've talked about this before, too. Abundance does not mean potency. You know, just because it's found in large quantities doesn't mean it's the most potent thing. There could be something that's found in very small quantities that are not even measured or they're below the limit of detection. And it packs an incredibly hard punch, uh, but you just don't know. And so, so I think, you know, being able to smell things, 
your senses can pick up on things that you like or don't like, um, even if they haven't been measured in the plant. Um, and just taking a handful of terpenes and cannabinoids and saying this is this plant's uh, chemical profile, that's not really completely true because you're not taking the whole of everything. You're just using abundance as a measure of, you know, uh, identity, I guess. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> we did a little tangent from our uh, <laughs> growing methods and pruning, of pruning and um, harvesting. I think that's really interesting. Uh, this, this was a good paper. I think the information is useful to anyone growing cannabis, even at home. Except lollipopping. I, what editor in their right friggin' mind <laughs> thought that that was lollipopping? They really need to figure out a better term. That's almost worse than that silly paper we went through a few weeks ago. It's like genotype, phenotype, but then they're talking about the phenotype, oh, which was genotype the genotype. genotype in this paper, too. Did you notice that? We used one genotype. <laughs> so I mean, ridiculous. At least it was really only one, so they didn't really need to test it, but it's a, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible move, is what it is. Horrible move. But seems like the scientific community is kind of adopting it, which seems to be a really bad thing, though. Yeah. Thanks, scientific community. <laughs> That's how I feel. We love you, that. science. <laughs> well, you know, thanks everyone again for another week, episode 31 of the Canna Book Club. And now we know. Pruning. Pruning is good. Top it. Stop at nine weeks. And don't do their don't version of lollipop. Like yeah. yeah, don't take that second layer of branches off. Holy Christ. Thank you so much, everybody. Follow us. Well, yeah, I hope so. I hope they've caught up with the latest episode already on the YouTubes and the Spotify's and the Googles and everywhere that podcasts are released. Always a pleasure. Canna Book Club people. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, all you resonators and people who are not resonators who are looking to get into the community. Totally appreciate it. We see the random, the random different plays that are jumping out. We keep taking this like Nordic swing. So Denmark and Finland and all that kind of areas up there have decided to listen to us over the last couple of weeks so stoked on that if you have uh any suggestions for any guests because there's some interviews that i got lined up coming for other episodes of resonate radio shoot us a message on instagram at team resonate or you can send us an email to info at resonatecannabis.com and i'll do my best to book them if they're interesting if they're not interesting i'm not going to book them that's the way it goes anyways much love to everybody who is watching us. If you can still listen to us in Ukraine, I love you all. And really, really appreciate the support. And we will see everybody else for the Canada Book Club next week.